0: in Welcome into episode seventy-five of the Puck Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Perigo. Joined, as always, by Spencer Weeks. How are you doing today, Spencer?
1: I'm doing well, Jeremy. How are you?
0: Doing well. Uh, we are coming to you just prior to NHL free agency. Uh, the NHL entry draft has come and gone. The end of the regular season has come and gone. And congrats, or The regular season and postseason. Congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche for winning the Stanley Cup in six games over the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't want to say I predicted it, but I did. <laughs> as we did previews uh, at the end of our last episode, we did make predictions for the final, and I happened to be spot on. Quite frankly, uh, I was getting pretty nervous about halfway through this series whether my prediction was going to be accurate at all or not. Um, but Spencer, just as a recap to the Stanley Cup final, what are your thoughts and opinions?
1: Yeah, I mean, before the series, I was I was kind of back and forth. Like, I mean, the whole playoffs, I was just waiting for this this Tampa team to to finally hit that wall of of running out of gas. I mean, the amount of hockey they played in the past three or four years, um, I just was waiting for it to, to kind of add up. And I, I remember before the series started too, I also said, I kept kind of going back and forth, you know, between who I thought I I really wanted to say Colorado, but the fact that Tampa just kept proving me wrong. Um, and, and you know, they just kept finding ways, um, but I, I thought one of the big factors was going to be. And I remember saying on the last episode was the injury uh, situation, and, and before the series started, it, it sounded like to me that there was a more of a likelihood of Tampa getting Braden Point back before Colorado would get Kadri back, and clearly that was totally opposite. Um, and and Kadri, I mean, what he was able to do, and he obviously scores that game winner. Um, to me, that was a huge X factor. And, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, if Braden points in the lineup, a healthy Braden point makes Tampa win. Uh, but I, I think you do, I think it gives Tampa a much better shot there. Um, but they had other injuries. I mean, you saw the list of what guys were battling through and guys are battling through stuff on both sides and everyone in the playoffs does. But I just think, Combining that with the amount of hockey Tampa had played, um, you know, it, it it really showed. And especially against a team that was it was the best team in the league, clearly, um, with Colorado, it, it wasn't... It, it was too much for them to, to find a way there. But, I mean, what, what a great display of talent in the league um, in that series with both teams. It, it just shows... And I still think it, it is truly remarkable what Tampa was able to do. Obviously, they don't win, but to bring that series to six games and and just just show how how good that team is as a group together to to battle through you know injuries and, and fatigue, um, and fatigue at a level that you know probably we've never seen. Um, you know, you get all the way there. It, guys are going to be tired either way, but I, I really just think with the amount of hockey, um, it, it is remarkable what they were able to do and to get that close again. Um, you know, it's just a it's a huge, huge accomplishment by their not only the players but the the coaching staff and then management for being able to kind of just replenish their system and, and lose guys. You know. They they lost that whole third line that helped win them a cup and I think was really, really a huge part of them winning a cup or two cups, Um, but able to kind of just almost rebuild that third line with different guys and and still to get that far. But, um, you know, I I was very happy to see Colorado win it. I wanted Colorado to win it. Um, It it was just incredible to watch guys like McCarr and McKinnon um, and then to see what Kadri did after all he's been through. Uh, it was truly remarkable.
0: Yeah, and I think um, the series could have certainly gone either way. And you look at the two overtime victories that uh, Colorado ends up pulling out. I think it was, what, game one and game three or four? four. Yes. The second one in Tampa, right? And then, um, obviously, Kadri, like you said, was the next factor in a way that Braden Point wasn't. And that, ended up did, that did end up being a huge part in the series. And, you know, you can argue about all the – honestly – I, I think people made way too much about the whole, like, too many men on the ice situation. I can get your opinion on this, too. But um, I, I think as far as injuries go, and I mentioned this kind of before we were going into the series, it ended up playing out in uh, Colorado's favor because Kadri did come back and score a very important goal in the series uh, as opposed to Point, who really couldn't, you know, stay in the lineup. And, you know, the injuries are different. But, there, it, you know, Colorado was injured as well this postseason. Obviously, they haven't maintained, you know, their – Tampa Bay's coming off of two full playoff runs, and then, you know, a third one here, like you mentioned. So, obviously, they're going to be tired just because they played so much hockey over the last couple years through a pandemic on top of it. So, you know, what they have had to do has been remarkable, and they very well could have won their third Stanley Cup in a row in this series against the Avalanche. You know, I wanted the Avs to win, too. Uh, Just one of those feel-good stories kind of thing. You know, a bunch of players that have never won before. They had, like, two Stanley Cup champions on their team going into this uh, and guys towards the back end of their career, I think of Jack Johnson. I think of Eric Johnson, um, particularly that that did never and Andrew Cogliano. Guys that had never won, I believe. Cogliano, Cogliano, had never either. Can't remember even off the top of my head the two that won. Uh, Berakovsky maybe, and then there's another one. But either way, um, I think that just it just felt right. It felt like the Avs were destined to win that series. Um, I, the 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 too many men thing. I kind of wrote about this on Twitter and. It's just like one of those situations where I looked at that line change particularly that led to the goal, because that's the biggest turning point. There were there's you know, other calls that people were complaining about and honestly, you know, as good as Tampa's been, it did feel like as soon as they, you know, started to they were on the ropes and they felt like for the last time all of a sudden they were yelling at the refs and they were whining for calls and it wasn't exact and then I saw Pat Maroon like breaking a stick over players, you know, legs. I forgot back who who was on the ice that it happened to. And it's just like It wasn't exactly the most, and then that play at the very end of the game from Nikita Kucherov where he's like at his own bench like screaming at the trainer because they never stick ready for him and he's throwing things and it was just like, there's a lot of high emotion that comes with the Stanley Cup final, obviously, and, um, you know, you're on the verge of losing a Stanley Cup, but... I mean, for a team that's won two in a row, and I know they want to win three, and they don't care if they won two in a row. They want to win as many as possible. It just didn't feel like the most, you know, honorable way to go out. And maybe I'm making too much of this, but there was just a lot of that from Tampa towards the end. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the whole offside thing that happened? I think, personally, it's a call that, you know, a play that happens countless amount of times during the regular season, even in the postseason. And for them, all of a sudden, for people want that to be called, like, during the playoffs, it's like, do you, do you really want that called you know, there were arguably two other players for Tampa on the ice as well. Sure, they didn't impact the play the same way that maybe, Kat, you know, Kadri did coming on the ice there, but I, I, I just think that's kind of, you know, it's the game of hockey, and you don't want to be ticky-tacky with everything, spe- specifically in the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Spencer?
1: Yeah, no, like you said, I mean, it, it happens a thousand times a year, and, and it, was, it was McKinnon that was fighting with the door to try to get in. Something like that, the bench. You know? Yeah, like if it's the other way around like you know do you think Tampa fans are are making a fuss about it um no Definitely i just not. <laughs> think, yeah so i i think they were kind of reaching there for for something some sort of excuse it, it really didn't have an effect on the play and like you said it happens a thousand times um, it probably happens multiple times every game you could call you could call 100 too many mech too many men's, if you wanted to be exact about it. it, it is kind of a, a loose rule. There's kind of some, you know, broad, it's like kind of one of those areas, a gray area or, or whatever you want to say. But I mean, he was just standing at the bench. Like he's not doing anything to disrupt the play. I don't think it was necessarily like, I've definitely seen guys leave, leave the bench earlier before their player comes and nothing has come of it. So I didn't think that was a big deal at all um I I think Tampa and Tampa fans might have just been really reaching for something there
0: yeah and like I said I I I think it all played out for the better and I anyone who wants to argue injuries from the Tampa side of things I don't really think there's a ton of ground to stand on for that because it's not like both teams weren't injured obviously the the amount of hockey that Tampa's played in the postseason just over the last numerous seasons absolutely they played a lot of hockey but you know, as far as injuries go in this series, you know, like I said, Kadri was definitely injured. Kemper and his eye injury. Apparently, he'd been he'd been retraining his eye between like before every game because of the injury he had suffered against the Blues in the second round, I believe it was. Um,
1: yeah, how the hell do you retrain your yeah, eye? Yeah,
0: I'm not sure <laughs> to be honest. And honestly, it looked like it was affecting him in the finals. And you know, to me, it's like was it his eye? Was it? Do the Avs know something too? Because. I I was not in love with the way that he played during that final series. I've been kind of vocal about it. And it honestly felt like he was potentially going to be the reason they didn't win the Stanley Cup because there were a couple goals that he let in. And I'm like, dude, you just need to make one save in a situation where you're required of it and your team's going to win. And he he made a few good saves. I'm not going to say he was horrible in the series because he wasn't, but he was average. He was not the reason they were going to win, for sure. Exactly. And you're looking at Vasilevsky on the other side of the ice and he's doing everything to keep his team in it. And you can argue that, you know, even though Tampa didn't get a lot of calls go their way, their goaltender played phenomenal. He outplayed Kemper and there's no question about it, and that was a huge reason they were even in it too because Colorado there were times when they were like in the zone for 2 minutes, 3 minutes at a time. It looked like a power play when it was, you know, 5 on 5. This is against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. And this is no slouch of a team you're playing. And they were dominating at certain points in that series in a way that you never saw Tampa dominate. You know, their power play was also very good too. Above 30%, I believe it was, it ended up being. And Tampa's just couldn't get started. That was another thing. Special teams that were played in their advantage. But, you know, there wasn't like a a disproportionate amount of penalties called on either team, I didn't feel. It felt like, if anything, Tampa was getting more calls going their way than, than Colorado. They were just, Avalanche, were just taking advantage of those opportunities when they arose. And... You know, Kale McCarr, obviously, you know, we can talk about him too, winning the Conn Smythe, the Norris, Stanley Cup, all in one season. Uh, he's won the Calder Trophy, uh, the Hobie Baker. So the guy, you know, at 23, I think he is, he's an extremely decorated uh, player already. It's going to be incredible to watch him continue uh, his dominance in this league, um, but just crazy to see all the accomplishments that he's, you know, gotten already, and deservedly so. I mean, I don't think there's any argument for him being the best player on that Avs team in the final, and... Um, the only other player that comes to mind is McKinnon, and he wasn't—he was, you know, a little quiet, honestly. In the final, he played really well against Edmonton in the conference final, but um, definitely there was no doubt in my mind that that trophy goes to the consmite goes to McCarr there. And uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on on McCarr and just those those awards, Spencer?
1: Yeah, I mean, holy shit! Like, is he, what is he twenty three?
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: That just makes me sick. Um, I, it was funny. I think in in recent years or in most years, at least the majority of them that I've, you know, been alive and been, you know, old enough to know that the Stanley Cup's going on and, and understand what's going on. You know, when when that you know, those few minutes are coming down and team's gonna clinch and the announcers start talking about who they think is going to win the con Smythe or or, you know, whatever it is, like whoever you're watching with you're talking talking about it. And this year more so than any other uh, at least from you know, just thinking about it, it it just seems so straightforward that oh this is Makar's trophy. Like he's he is the Conn Smythe. Um and to do what he's done this year between the Norris Conn Smythe, and the Stanley Cup, uh that's fucking incredible. At twenty three, I just think you know, defensemen especially, it's I think it's much harder to, to come into the league and be so so productive and, and so much of a difference maker at a young age it, it usually takes a little longer for for guys to get there uh, as defensemen and i mean he's come in and he's just taken over and it is is just incredible to watch him i mean i don't know how many times i've said it but and i'll, I'll continue to say it. his edge work it's just i've never seen anything like it and, and as a defenseman to do what he does it's it's truly incredible and he was very much deserving
0: yeah, watching his mobility at the blue line, especially on the power play, too, it's just it's ridiculous. And you go back to plays during the regular season, and we'll actually talk about this player in a minute, but when he made that move on Kirby Dock, and uh, yeah, it was Kirby Dock, and went to the net and put it top shelf on, I don't remember who was playing, goaltender for Chicago during that game. Um, but just like small highlights like that from the season that you're looking at this guy and seeing his age and seeing what he's accomplished already, and you're like, this is not the last time he's winning the Norris Trophy. This isn't probably the last time he's winning the Stanley Cup or anything like that, so... Uh, or even the Con Smythe, potentially because he's just that good and at this young of an age and it's one of those things where it's like yeah are we overhyping him because he's had one really good postseason it's like not the case at all because obviously this has been building since even when he was drafted I mean right as soon as he got into the league he was showing showcasing exactly what he can do and you know it really just came to a culmination to fruition in this in this postseason and uh, he led his team in points I believe and just absolutely you know people are saying he's the you know great next greatest thing since Bobby Orr which. You know, I wasn't around when Bobby Orr was playing hockey, but uh, from everything I've seen, this certainly, the comparison, you know, it's striking, and uh, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with him going forward and how he's able to continue to dominate in this league. Um, we might be getting sick of talking about the Colorado Avalanche in a couple of seasons, like we're getting sick of talking about Tampa Bay, um, but that, I mean, that's only a good thing for the sport, to be honest with you, because he's just a player that they want to be showcasing. He could be a little more of a personality. He's pretty quiet, but, um, you know, still awesome to see that kind of player in the league and Uh, Just the way he dominates is, you know, I can't talk about it enough. Um, But we should probably move on from the Stanley Cup final and get into things that have happened since the Stanley Cup was won. Um, Like I said, there's been all sorts of trade action, player signings. Um, The NHL entry draft has come and gone. I kind of want to start there, to be honest with you, and get your opinions on that, Spencer. Um, I'm just going to go through the top five players, and then we can kind of recap our thoughts from the draft. We don't have to go deep diving into picks or anything that's plenty to talk about. Um, but the big uh, conversation uh, about this whole draft was that Shane Wright was supposed to go number one overall to Montreal, potentially. I mean, that was the expectation for the last several seasons was that he was going to be, you know, he was an underage player. Uh, he was slotted into the number one spot for so long. And then the last few weeks, um, you know, that kind of changed a little bit. And sure enough, at the draft, the Montreal Canadiens end up selecting Yaraj um, Sl- Sl- Slokowski. I don't know how to pronounce his name fully right now, and it's not an easy one. But he goes first overall. He's a left wing from Slovakia, something that's never happened in Slovak hockey history before uh, having a first overall pick and also a second overall pick on uh, Simon Nemec, who went to uh, the New Jersey Devils as a defenseman. Um, because the Devils, and this is where it gets interesting and in why Shane Wright dropped all the way to number four. Uh, obviously, after Montreal decided not to select him, um, New Jersey was pretty set on getting a defenseman, and they didn't need a center. Um, You know, they talk about Hughes and and Heischer that they already have there. It's not not their biggest need. So he dropped past New Jersey. And then I think Arizona was really married to the idea of Logan Cooley, uh, Pittsburgh native, I believe, Pennsylvania native, um, part of the U.S. national program, if I have this correct. Um, And he just was the right pick for them. And honestly, the way I've seen them talk about him and the way he's talked about Arizona, it seems like a really good match for them. And then obviously Seattle number four ends up picking Shane Wright as the next available player. I don't think they were expecting to get him at number four, um, but a really good pickup for the Kraken. And then number five is Cutter Gothier, went left wing, uh, a USA player as well, uh, to the Flyers. What do you, what do you think about this whole draft? And you can get into other things that you've seen as well, Spencer. Um, but maybe what do you talk? What do you think about this whole like massive drop? I don't. We haven't seen honestly. I don't think we've seen a draft like this uh, with this much action in 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 recent memory at all, like usually we have a pretty consensus number one pick and it ends up being that person that goes number one overall. Uh, but this year, the, because there wasn't a clear consensus as to, I think the number one pick, at least in the weeks leading up to the draft, it made this must watch TV. There were also a lot of interdraft ch- uh, trades that went on as well. And we can get into some of those uh, that involve Chicago. But well, what were your thoughts on this draft?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with, I mean, because of COVID and then, you know, even, if you look at the last couple years, all right and, and COVID being such a huge factor in every facet of of sports, really, um, I think it created a lot of issues for scouts because they weren't able to see players in a way they they always or they have been at least over the past 10, 20 years. And, you know, the OHL's season's being canceled. Um, you didn't get to see Shane Wright like as much as you would be able to see a top caliber prospect. And I think that could have played a lot of factor into when players were taken and, and how they were taken. I mean, you didn't see a lot of OHL guys taken until I, I want to say later on in the draft. If, if you look at it, because they just, there wasn't, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to, you know, I can only speculate cause I, I'm not a scout there obviously, but it, it seems to me like they were, they were a little hesitant to take take guys. From it definitely their... feels
0: like there was an emphasis on international players in this draft. Right,
1: right, exactly. And I think also too, and I know you said we're going to get into it in a second with the, with the trades, but to me a big part, you, you kind of saw what Montreal's idea was, um, because they don't take Shane Wright obviously first, and they take they take a winger power forward that i can barely even fucking say his name um but i do remember watching him in (laughs) world junior and then they add kirby doc and that kind of fills their first their first line center is probably suzuki the second line is going to be probably doc i would assume and now they don't really need the now they don't really have the need to to draft a a guy who's supposed to be a top two center potentially going to be one Um, so they go with a a power forward on the wing and then it kind of, all of a sudden you saw Shane Wright start to drop. And it was, it was kind of crazy because we haven't really seen something like that where there's like a little bit of drama in the, in the drafts. Um, and you know, a lot of it still has to do with, there wasn't, it it wasn't like a clear thing like, oh, Shane Wright's going number one. Um, there was some, some speculation there as well, but I think you, you could kind of tell what montreal's idea was there and then how about i don't know if you watched it but when Bettman goes goes up and you know he's just getting fucking booed and he actually does a great job of handling it like he's kind of like playing into it. he's like is that yeah. he, he said something along the lines it's like wow the energy's died down they start booing even louder <laughs> and he's like waiting a few seconds you guys He's like when you guys are finished I do have a trade to announce and they're still fucking going nuts and it's like yeah and it's it involves the Montreal Canadiens and everyone starts going nuts. Yeah. He, he announces it and it was kind of cool the camera like panned and you could see you could see like cuz you know it's in Montreal you could see Canadian fans like talking to each other like, like what what's going on what, what just happened who just got traded who, who who did we get um so that was really cool but yeah like, a very interesting draft and I just think COVID is is still, you know, playing a huge part on the impact of, of, of what GMs are deciding to do.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll highlight this trade too, just so we've officially noted exactly what happened. But uh, the Canadians traded Alexander Romanov to the Islanders with the 98th overall pick um, for 13th overall. And then they used 13th overall, along with 66th overall, and they traded those to Chicago for Kirby Dock. Um, so that's how they ended up with Kirby Doc on their roster. And yeah, I mean, if we want to get into kind of what Chicago's thinking or what they're not thinking or whatever the hell is going on, um, they also uh, dealt Alex Debrinkit and they, d- they traded him to Ottawa uh, in exchange for the seventh overall pick in the dra- in this draft um, and the second round pick in 2022. Uh, I don't know what these ended up turning. Uh, uh, second round pick, which ended up being number 39. Excuse me. And then a third round pick in 2024, Chicago. Um, you know, it's very unclear what I mean. I mean, they're taking it down to the studs. That much is obvious. They're burning everything and trying to get as much draft capital back, pretty much. And um, I can look quickly. I don't actually have in front of me who number seven and overall ended up being. Um, but there's a good um, feeling around the organization right now. This is basically a you know a, a notification to. Patrick Kane and Jonathan taves that, you know, this your time here is pretty much done. And uh, it's, it's a bit of a, I don't know, precarious situation with the two of them, I guess, because they're, you know, players that potentially could have, like, their statue outside of, like, the arena one day. That's the level of, uh, you know, reverence that Chicago Blackhawks organization has for those two players and their fan base for certain. And they ended up picking Kevin Korchinski, a defenseman, um, from the Seattle Thunderbirds in the WHL, seventh overall. So keep an eye on what that ends up turning into. Um, but it just it just feels like I don't know. It feels a little rushed, a little premature. Alex DeBrinket, a player that just scored forty goals. Uh, Kirby Doc, a twenty year old player, twenty one year old player that has still I think what a lot of people believe a lot of potential in front of him. And you know maybe the Blackhawks just know something everyone else doesn't know, or maybe they're just trying to head in a direction that they feel is right for the organization. But it it blows a lot of people's minds, not just my own, that they would move two players that was just felt like they could be building blocks for the future of this organization, and instead, you know, recoup them for draft capital, really, and prospects. So, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Spencer. But it was easily the biggest conversation of the draft, and the team that made the biggest splash, you know, outside of the Canadians, probably, and it was in their arena, so the emphasis was on them. But the Colorado, uh, Colorado, the Chicago Blackhawks are front and center as far as like moves that were made and direction that they've now made clear they're heading in. But what were, what were your thoughts on Chicago's move, Spencer?
1: Yeah, they are blowing things up. Holy shit. Um, definitely very interesting. Cause like you said, they're young players that you would think could be building blocks. So maybe there's something there that they're thinking they see that it's worth them to just dump them. The only thing I think is this is going to lead to the full on rebuild. Now, with Kane, you know, even though his cap hit is was a ten point five mil, I think him and Taze both make that Kane, you could definitely get obviously some some high assets for whether it's multiple picks, prospects, uh, younger players, whatever it is. so that that to me is like, okay, they traded Doc traded to Brinkett, you, you trade Kane. you really if you're going to trade Kane, like you're you're gonna be building you know, full on rebuild. You are going to have uh a plethora of picks. Um is that the fucking word, plethora? Yes. Wow. And
0: and both of them are at 10.5 cap hit wise.
1: Um but taze. So I <laughs> I mean, it does give them room to make moves. And also this you got to look at this part of it is teams are so pressed up against the cap um for the most part and especially because this all comes to COVID, you know, and I've said this multiple times, GMs, they plan, they project for the future, and you think the salary cap's going to keep going up like it was, but COVID you know, really screwed things up and you're seeing that impact every single team around the league. Um, so th- they've given themselves, maybe by making those trades, room to not only trade Kane, but retain some salary, which makes him much more attractive um, to any team. And then it's the same thing with Taze. I just don't think you're going to really have to retain a shit ton of salary on Taze to to get him to move. Because he's not, you know, Kane is still a superstar. Taze, I don't know if he can find that level again. I still think he could be useful for any team. Um, you know, just not only from a playing ability standpoint, which, like I said, it's not nearly what he was. But, you know, the leadership and the experience part um, could be huge, but I think you're just gonna have a lot of more trouble. Like you're probably gonna get more of a a mediocre return on Taves, and you're gonna have to retain. Yeah, that's um, sort of a, Corey, a good portion.
0: Corey Perry sim- feels like similar to me. I think Corey Perry showed he has a lot, has still had a pretty good amount of game to him, but particularly when he's playing with Tampa. But um, yeah, I I definitely agree with what you're saying about Taves, and there's a lot of buzz about about Kane and. You know, linked to the Rangers. You know, obviously he's buddies with Panarin and and their time playing in Chicago together. And obviously, I think I think they want to win still. You know, I mean they won three cups each. And funny enough, I, I heard this stat the other day. I want to say it was I don't, I don't remember what podcast it was on it. Might have been Jeff and Merrick, but uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, excuse me, Merrick and Friedman. Um, but um, I think no player has no players won a Stanley Cup with a double-digit uh, cap hit before. So, like, I think those $10.5 million contracts came after the 2015 Cup. And just a little side note. I don't think there's a single... Because, obviously, the Leafs have a couple of those contracts, and they've never won. Uh, Conor McDavid, comes to mind, hasn't won either. So, um, just a little side note. Obviously, the cap's going to be going up, and players, gonna, can you, players are going to continue to get paid better. But um, just a fun little fun fact, I guess, I would throw in there. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, I guess... Chicago very likely is not done making moves because there's still you know what's going to happen with those two players with Kane and Taves. Um, I don't think they just want to sit there and mentor the future. Certainly not Kane. I guess I could see it more with Taves, but um, they still have the ability to get things back for them, and that makes me think that they're going to do everything they can to get those players moved. And they can't really force it because I think it's more in the hands of them. And not not even no, and even just the fact that they don't want to look like they're forcing the hands of players that you know do mean a good amount to this organization it's kind of like almost like the Patrice Bergeron or Henrik Lundqvist sort of affect their players that you just want to treat with a certain level of respect that um, you can't be too aggressive I guess with them in a way you could be with other players um, but anyway um, we can move on to some of the stuff that's happened as far as trades and signings go there's been a lot of action uh, good chance that you got you know people listening to this have paid attention to it um, I guess I'm gonna fire through quickly just the list of coaches too. Um, that have been hired since we last recorded Derek Lalonde in Detroit, Jim Montgomery in Boston, which we can talk about. Uh, John Tortorella in Philly, Bruce Cassidy found home in Vegas, Pete DeBoer in Dallas, Lane Lambert in the New York Islanders, Paul Maurice in Florida with the Panthers, Luke Richardson in Chicago. And currently Bob Bugner still sits as head coach of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, the Sharks hired Mike Greer as the first black GM in NHL history, you know, got to the storied uh, NHL history as a player himself. Um, Going to be interesting. Hire. I don't know a ton about him, um, but you know, often when a GM comes in, he wants to make a change, and hire a coach that he wants. So we'll keep an eye on that situation. And uh, Rick Bonus, which I think was the biggest shock uh, in Winnipeg. I know there was some talk about them getting Barry Trotz. Trotz ended up saying he's not coaching this year. Um, I think that threw a lot of teams for a loop, and they kind of had to scramble for their next option. Uh, particularly if you're Winnipeg, I think that's where it was most apparent. He was potentially going to be end up, but it, Trotz was going to potentially end up in Winnipeg. That's where I'd heard him being connected. And then, you know, every time Rick bonus gets hired, at least in recent history, obviously the last time was in Dallas with Jim Montgomery in that whole situation. Um really just feels like, Oh, we need a guy that we know is tried and true and isn't going to blow up this roster on us and have an even, you know, a steady hand on this team when they're kind of in a situation where they need, stability and rick bonus just fits that uh role i i thought he was gonna be done i mean i think everyone thinks rick bonus was going to be done like three jobs ago and uh he's still kicking around he's going to give it at least a season in winnipeg it looks like and uh what are your what are your thoughts on the trade on the coaching market spencer now that it's pretty much wrapped up minus probably one team
1: yeah uh i mean it's really turned in just a coaching carousel in the nhl um it's it's kind of crazy and you saw like right off the bat uh, teams announce and, and make deals with new coaches and then you saw there was kind of like those awkward couple of weeks there where boston and a few other teams were were still deciding on what they wanted to do and you know kind of with boston like jim montgomery it kind of came out of nowhere because there was a lot more speculation on on names like david quinn and then uh with jay leach and uh i forget who else yeah those, those
0: two would were- definitely the front runners I would say
1: right um I mean I like the to be honest I like Montgomery coming in and you know I know we talked about this last episode with the whole Cassidy situation like I think he's a good coach yes but I I just think the NHL and the way it is it's so much easier to lose a room and you need to change something up and I'll say it again like it wasn't Cassidy's you can't put everything on Cassidy like management has some blame too um I just don't think you know I I I wasn't shocked about Cassie leaving and you still are hearing so much whether it's Boston Sports Radio or Boston Sports Twitter like people are in disbelief and I I really wasn't shocked about it but I like Montgomery coming in. I know he's obviously you know had had some issues um, personal issues that he had to take care of but he is you know he has proven that he can be successful as a coach and and you know he had what one and a half years as a head coach with Dallas, pretty much, and, um, you know he he knows how to. He's got experience, you know, coaching with young players. I believe he won a national championship coaching Denver. Um, so you know he he does have the resume there, and, you know, it's it's, he's coming into a, a market where you know, Boston fans really, really care. And, and he's going to be under the gun right off the bat. And it's going to take a lot for him to, you know, get this whole team on board and get them to buy in. Um, you know, it'll be a real test to see if he can do it. I, I think he's capable of it. Um, But like I said, I think the big thing was is you, you do got to change things up. And, and the first part is, is the coach.
0: Yeah, and I mean, everything I've heard about him too. And obviously, I mean, I didn't follow him substantially when he was in Dallas um, which yeah he was only there for about it was part of I think the second season he ended up getting fired um, or asked to step down I don't really know exactly but then he ended up you know he's been a St. Louis Blues assistant coach kind of getting his feet back under him obviously the personal issue is what it is but I've heard a lot of people say he's still you know a coach that should definitely get a shot in this league and um, has a lot to give and I guess we'll see. It's one of those things where it's like he he hasn't proven it in the NHL. You know, he, yeah, it was the University of Denver, you were right with that, that he ended up winning, uh, led them to a berth in the NCAA tournament. And then what, I can go through all this. But yeah, he ended up having success at the college level and got a chance to do it in Dallas. And Dallas, as in, you know, a team is a little bit in a weird spot. And they've had some success, obviously, making it to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, in the bubble against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they do feel like they're turning over their roster from their old guard to the new guard, which is, you know, the Jason Robertsons, the Rupe Hintz, the Miro Heiskanens, the Jake Ottingers, um, where you're seeing, you know, Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radulov and some of those players. It looks like John Klingberg is probably going to be a player that signs elsewhere when uh, when free agency opens. Uh, There was already rumor about him being moved during the regular season, which didn't happen. So Dallas is an interesting situation. They're probably looking for a bit of a retool. They have the goaltending, and they got some power up front. Um, and if they can kind of, you know, their defense even too. Like I said, with Heiskanen, they still have Lindell, and um, they have some. I think their prospects. I, I keep every time I hear about a prospect doing something crazy on like his OHL team or in the Western League, whatever it is, it's always a player that's uh, like affiliated with the Dallas Stars. So I feel like they have uh, a relatively good. Uh, prospect pool coming forward here and they're going to be a team that I come I'm going to be interested in to see what happens uh, as they continue to move in their younger players and uh, transition into to, to a new generation of hockey because they do they do feel like one of those teams that's kind of right there and um, they just have had a lot of moving parts and there's been a lot of transition with that team whether it's a net or on the back end or an offense and coaching um, they've had a lot of moving parts in the last several seasons and honestly I don't think they were a team that really should have even made the playoffs this year Vegas kind of handed it to them um, they ended up going and, you know, giving the Calgary Flames a massive run for their money. And it was mostly, you can say, it was mostly attributed to Jake Ottinger. We've talked about that, but um, there, there's, some, there's some fight in that team. And uh, I'm going to be interested to see what this season brings for them. But uh, anyway, why don't we jump into trades and signings? I'm just going to run through a bunch of them, and we can kind of pick out the ones that um, are most interesting um, I'll start by saying that Montreal ended up acquiring Genni Dadanoff from the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for defenseman Shea Weber. Obviously, there was the whole, you know, situation with Dadanoff during the regular season with the Golden Knights, where they tried to move him. They couldn't, and he ended up staying with them. Um, you know, it was eventually, it makes sense that they were going to move on from him. They take Shea Weber's contract. Um, you know, he probably never plays again, right? He's on LTIR. I'm not exactly sure of the situation. Um, L.A., Acquires Kevin Fiala from Minnesota in exchange for defenseman Brock Faber and a first-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft. Uh, Nashville acquired Ryan McDonough from Tampa for defenseman Philip Myers and forward Grant Mismash. I don't know how you say that. Um, Colorado acquires goaltender Alexander Georgiev from the Rangers in exchange for a third-round and fifth-round pick in the 2022 NHL Draft and a third-round pick in the 2023 NHL Draft. Georgiev, honestly, obviously a big deal because he's been backing up in uh, New York behind Igor Shosturkin, who is very clearly the number one there. Colorado's goaltending situation, as we kind of alluded to, is a little bit up in the air. Darcy Kemper won't be coming back. Um, they work pa- Pavel Francouz and Georgiev is in like a 1A, 1B situation. That's potentially what happens. Uh, we talked about the De Brinket, uh trade already. Uh, Chicago acquired Peter Mrazek in the 25th overall pick in the 2022 draft from Toronto in exchange for a second-round pick in the 2022 draft. Obviously, that was Toronto moving a bad contract. Uh, that they got themselves into and kind of what I was saying about the, I, I haven't been saying this off camera but one of those things where goaltending has been a big problem that that Toronto has not been able to solve they've obviously had the forwards there for a while their defensive back the back end they've kind of shored up a bit um, and now it's kind of like goaltending they're just still playing a bit of a carousel carousel there but if they find someone that's that sticks around and can consistently stop the puck from them they could very well be uh, that step away from a Stanley Cup and honestly you look back to the First round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and Jack Campbell was very good for them. wasn't even the reason they lost that series, but uh, looks like they're not going to be able to hold on to him. So uh, this is the next step. But um, Detroit is uh, acquiring goaltender Ville Huso from St. Louis in exchange for a third round pick in the twenty twenty two NHL NHL Entry Draft. Obviously, these picks have happened already. I could go back and see what they are, but it's not entirely relevant. They're just you know right now they're just a prospect in the system. Um, and Ville Huso, obviously um, behind. Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. Um, it was unclear as if to Bennington was going to be, you know, their goalie of the future or not. There was, his play was inconsistent, but played well during the postseason. And, you know, I guess they're fine to move on from who saw in this situation instead of, I don't exactly know the contract situation in St. Louis either, but um, they seem to be confident with what Bennington's given them, particularly in the postseason. And obviously there's the drama between him and Kadri and getting injured and everything They went down in the second round against Colorado. But um, and then the Devils acquired Vitek Vanacek from Washington in exchange for a second round pick and third round pick in the 2022 NHL entry draft. Uh, only two more here. Philly acquires t- defenseman Tony D'Angelo and a seventh round pick in the 2022 NHL draft from Carolina uh, in exchange for a fourth round pick in 2022, a third round pick in 2023, a second round pick in 2024. Um, and then I should say that D'Angelo went on to sign a two year extension or two year contract with uh, the Flyers for $10 million, which is a five mil cap hit per season. And then more recently uh to- Toronto acquired goaltender Matt Murray in a third round pick in the 2023 NHL entry draft and a seventh round pick in the 2024 NHL entry draft from the Senators in exchange for our favorite future considerations. So I know there was a lot to throw at you right now Spencer but these are some of the bigger trades that have happened over the past few weeks um, leading up to free agency and what are your what are your thoughts what what moves stand out the most to you here.
1: Holy shit, good job getting through that. I wouldn't need like, <laughs> a lot to get of talking. an oxygen mask. Um <laughs> Yeah, a lot there. I mean, I'm not gonna talk about all of them, obviously. I'll, I'll, I'll chime in on a few though that that kind of stood out to me. Um, I do like the Huso deal. I think it's a good, you know, goalies are kind of a gamble. I think in general because it's just harder to predict and project. But I think there's there is some you know potential there, and why not take a shot at it? Um, you know, Detroit's obviously they're. They're a really up-and-coming team, so I think they're they're starting to pull, you know, it, it's more pieces to the puzzle there, um, and we'll see how that works out. But I think I, I like the Colorado move, too, to get uh, Georgiev, or however the fuck you say his name as well. Um think Georgiev, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that was, you know, they, they're they clearly moving on from Kemper, and, and like you said before, and I'll reiterate it, like, temper in the finals. He wasn't gonna be the reason why Colorado won it, but he could have been the reason why they lost it. And I think there's there's more potential there in net with with adding uh Georgiev. But the McDonough deal, I think I think that to me was a big they a big reason they did that one is you're adding a, a you know a great quality, experienced shutdown uh, shut down defenseman that that, that knows how to win, knows what it takes to win. And I think a big reason also for that is adding, adding him was to kind of maybe help persuade uh, Phil Forsberg to, to show him that, you know, Nashville's still going for it. They're still going for it as a team and that they're they're not planning on, uh, you know, being content with, with either rebuilding or, or just kind of, you know, being a team that could be on the cusp of making the playoffs or, or you know maybe only make it a, a round um, through a round or two, but other than that, what was the other one that oh the Tony D'Angelo one. <laughs> I just can't wait to see him and Tro- or him and uh, Tortorella interact. That is going to be. Uh, I think that's got the potential to be must watch TV. Yeah, or Twitter, or whatever social media. Like I, I think there's going to be some. God, they they just got to keep cameras on the both of them in the locker room at all times because I, I think that could be must-watch TV. Um, and then I liked, uh, you know, L.A. getting Kevin Fiala. Um, I think that kind of flew under the radar maybe because Fiala's a guy who can he, – he can produce. Um, he, he's definitely got the skill in, in – or in L.A.'s one of those teams too that's a bit younger and, and kind of maybe surprised uh, some people last year. And, you know, adding a piece like that, I, I, I think will even bolster – you know their young offensive uh, lineup and, and the players they got there
0: yeah and i should add too because we were talking about Georgiev that he signed a three-year 10.2 million dollar deal with the Avs. it's a 3.4 million dollar cap hit so obviously they're a team that wants to be winning for years to come they want to be the next tampa bay lightning right and they want to continue to fight off the tampa bay lightning but who you know a team that by no stretch of the imagination is going anywhere because they still have a lot of those players locked up and uh they're going to have to continue to shore up their their deficiencies, and obviously they focused on goaltending right away. And I, you know, if you asked me, that would have been my first focus too. You know, armchair GM over here, Jerry Parago. But I think it was clear that their goaltending was was, you know, you want goaltending. It's rare that teams win the Stanley Cup despite you know in spite of their goaltending, and it wasn't really in spite of their goaltending. But like I mentioned, it was it was very much not the reason they won. And I think that's if they want to continue to be a winning you know a dynasty team that you know. They certainly look like they're built to be. Then that's something they're gonna to have to get a handle on. And I don't want to blame it entirely on Kemper too, because you know part of it could have been eye injury. But Colorado got rid of them, got rid of him pretty quickly when they, you know, maybe it was a money thing too. Maybe he just priced himself out. But um, you know, there's something there that they were like, this is fine, and you know, here we are. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll some of the signings I didn't mention because they were. I was just going over trades a second ago. Mark Andre Fleury. This was a relatively big one. Uh, resigns with the wild for two years seven mil so 3.5 total our uh, cap hit per year um philip forsberg this was a bomb of a contract and we were not sure what was going to happen with this uh signs eight years 68 million 8.5 cap hit with the predators um there was some questions if he was going to stick around there and clearly that's going to be the case eight more years of him uh chris letang and this one's a little interesting as well Signs six years 36.6 mil 6.1 mil cap hit with the penguins um, if this contract played out, he would be, for, you know, to the end, he would be 41 years old. Um, so that, you know, we can get into some of the, you know, the game behind the game that's maybe happening there. But um, Valerian Chuskin as well. This is all a couple of really interesting ones here. This is the last one I'll talk about right now. Uh, signs eight years, $49 million for a 6.125 mil cap hit with the Avs. He's currently 27. He had 52 points this past season, 25 goals and 27 assists um and he's never had anything close to that and he's been in the league since like 2013 2012 uh he beat his highest points record which was from the 2013-14 season uh, when he had 34 points when he was in dallas which was 14 goals and 20 assists so he significantly increased his points production playing in the top six with the AVs this year uh like i said he's 27 he's still like in the prime of his career it's just like, it feels like a very large contract to give him, and maybe it's just going to look really good down the road if he continues to produce and the cap goes up and he's still at 6.125. But um, it, it's, whew, I mean, that's a lot of money to give a player that only had one good season. And I don't know, he played, he was a he was a big part of the postseason for them, for sure. One of those guys that really comes to play uh, during the playoffs, and that shouldn't be understated, and that's probably part of what the Avs are looking at because um, he had a really good postseason but um, I don't know, Spencer. What do you think of some of these moves, particularly? I think Nichuskin and Latang moves, and obviously Flurry coming back is big for the Wild as well.
1: Yeah, I think Nick. Nick wow, I can't say any of these things. Nikushkin, is that it? Nichu- What's the origin? Ch- um, yeah, I
0: don't know. I I can look that up.
1: <laughs> um, but I think yeah, his he, he really made his money during that postseason run. He just showed how valuable he can be on on that team, and um, you know. I'm not gonna like you kind of said play armchair g m because I think Colorado's proved they know what they're doing um from a front office perspective, and you know i I think he hasn't you know he just proved it this one year, but you know is that is that kind of a a one off who knows i mean um, I trust
0: Joe Sack has made a lot of good right. moves lately, so it's you know who am I to say but
1: yeah exactly, and then I think. Latang, i mean god it is crazy i think in any sport when when guys get contract extensions or they sign and it puts them you know the end of their contract into an age you know about their 40s or you know even even late 30s um it, it is kind of tough but you know i think obviously he's earned it and i think a big part is like he he still is uh you know high caliber defenseman he really pushes the pace from the back end and He's got that little bit of edge to his game. Um, I, I I think Pittsburgh just could not... wasn't like How would they have replaced him is right. more of it. Um, and now they've got bigger issues on their hands because it looks like Malkin's going to free agency. Um, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But And then the Forsberg one, I mean... like I, I took him in my fantasy hockey draft this past year because you always take guys in their contract here. They're just going <laughs> to produce you know it and he I mean he is he is a really good player I think he flies a little bit under the radar at times especially you know not that Nashville's a crazy small market but you know he there's so many other names in the league that are that are big and young and and, and doing things that you're going to hear about on a daily basis but um you know I, like I said before I think the big part of Forsberg signing back there was was seeing that you know nashville's acquiring a guy like ryan mcdonough like they're still going for it and you know he he can produce he's proven it throughout his career so far
0: yeah and uh i i don't know i think maybe this little Latang thing i should actually mention before i get off so i, so I had sidetracked that i wanted to note that the did have 15 points in 20 playoff games this postseason for the av so you know for a player that's not expected to produce those kinds of numbers and some of those goals are pretty big time important goals too that it just you could see why they would be so interested in having him and um, i'm trying to give some more validation to the contract cuz to me it is something that kind of you, you look at it at first and you're like wow that's that could be go that could go really sou- south if it you know doesn't pan out with him but we'll see um but yeah i mean for Cl- for Chris LaTang particularly i think like it just feels like he's been around forever and the thought of him signing a 6-year contract right now is just like jesus and he will i mean he'll be 41 if you know obviously he's had some injury history and are they, you know, banking on the fact that he doesn't actually end up playing the duration of that contract? I don't know, but they're kind of in a position, like you said, where they kind of had to get it done, and Malkin's walking potentially the free agency now, which is wild, because he's never been that um, in his career, and they're a team that doesn't necessarily have a large prospect pool, and they are trying to start to turn over this team a little bit, and they're kind of heading in the right direction, but there could be some lean years ahead for the Penguins, and, you you know, it's hard to say that when they have Crosby on the roster still, but um it, it's going to be they're definitely one of those teams that's like it's unclear what direction they're heading in and um you know we could have been talking about them in the eastern conference final this year they obviously were up three to one against the rangers and let that slip away from them um but they were a team that gave more than i was expecting this postseason or this regular season and even a bit into the postseason so uh, i've doubted the penguins before and you know obviously they won two stanley cups this past decade and a lot of the you know at least a few of those key players are still there so it's hard to really count out a team that has has significant playoff experience and you know a player that's been uh the league's best for the last you know decade plus so um it's going to be interesting to see what happens in pittsburgh but uh, definitely a notable signing and uh, obviously like we said we're recording uh, free agency starts tomorrow we're recording before that because we want to recap everything that's happened since then we'll come back and discuss you know everything that's happened in free agency and where players have gone and really kind of we'll have a bet much better idea of what each team is going to look like going into the, you know, 2022, 2023 season. Uh, Once all those players are moved around and signed with teams or whatever. And a lot of that, you know, you hear whispers through the grapevine right now, even though they're technically not supposed to be talking. um, You can have an idea of where some of these players are going to go. And um, you hear the Rangers with a lot of teams uh, with a lot of players for sure. um, And, I think they're going to be pretty active. They're trying to take that next step, obviously. Uh, I think they played a good series against Tampa in the postseason, but probably realized that they need a little extra bite, or a decent amount of bite, to to actually not get steamrolled. Because they, they caught Tampa off guard to start that series, but once Tampa gained control of that series, it was like, oh boy, they're not losing. I feel like the
1: Rangers always have Capram.
0: Yeah, I... <laughs> I mean, they've, I guess, done a good job of managing that. And I think, you know, maybe Georgiev was part of it, too. But um, it it is wild. And they do have a lot of young players that are on, you know, entry level and and aren't hitting big deals. And some of them, you know, I think of Kako at first. Like, that was maybe going to be a big contract. And I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. And they're one of those teams that just really... There's like three or four teams that probably think they're like one really solid player away from being a Stanley Cup contender, I think the Rangers are right there now that they know they have the goaltending and their back end is pretty short up. And, um, they're just, the scoring is kind of inconsistent and, you know, you can talk about Sabanajad and what Panarin was or wasn't bringing during the postseason. Um, so it, it is interesting to see where they'll go to. There's a lot of teams that are interesting right now and that's why I think the trade deadline is going to be, um, or excuse me, the, uh, free agency deadline is going to, or when it opens tomorrow is going to be pretty interesting, um, and I should also mention here, I guess just so we make a note of it, that I guess Jake DeBrusque has officially resended his trade request, um, which, you know, Bruins get a new coach. Jake DeBrusque is fine with being there now. Do you tie that directly to Cassidy? A lot of people are making that jump. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Spencer, or any thoughts you have on anything else before we get out of here because we are running towards the end uh, as I as I speak. So what are your thoughts on that and maybe anything else you got?
1: Yeah, no, I I think... Yeah, I think the had to do with the coach. I mean, I think that was a big reason why he requested the trade in the first place. Um, and I do think there was, I do think there was players that weren't necessarily happy with Cassidy, but I think, like I, I've said before, I, I just think that has a lot to do with how easy it is for a coach to lose a room or, or, or lose the majority of the room um, quicker than it has been in I don't know, years in the NHL. I, I think that's why we have this coaching carousel now. Um, I just think, you know, boy, DeBrusque is going to have to, he's really going to have to prove it this year. If he, it, it, you know, it, th- there could be a lot on Bruins Twitter in Boston sports radio. If at the beginning of the year, the, the Golden Knights are playing unbelievable and the Bruins aren't looking great and DeBruska isn't producing it. There could be a lot, a lot, Going on and in a negative way, Um, because you know here in this in this region with sports, people are uh, they don't hesitate to to start pointing fingers and and you know complaining and being negative uh, about their sports teams.
0: Yeah, you make a good point, and as I look at it here, um, they play Vegas at home December fifth. That's one of their two games. I'm going to try have the schedule because they just came out too. And uh, I'm always interested to see what schedules look like. And um, the Arizona Coyotes have quite the start to their season. I think they have like 24, 22 of 24 games on the road to start the season, something wild like that. We know we've talked about their situation already based, you know, they're playing at ASU's new arena and they're going to have like maybe 2,000 to like 4,000 fans in the arena for their games. Um, and I guess. A lot of it, there's a lot of conflict with the college schedule during the weekend because that's where a lot of college games, as we know, uh, are played. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all turns out. And I've heard a couple people are going to try to go to games there, which I think would be actually sick if you're a fan. Um, but it's just going to be one of those situations where the players might not love it. But they have a lot of young players too, and they've taken on some money and contracts from other teams, and they're gearing up, and maybe they're looking. For another run at the bottom, so they can the big the big sweepstakes is going to be this season. I should this is probably a note that we should talk about while or just at least make a note of it while this all this moving is happening and you're seeing teams like strip it down or teams that are trying to gear up for another for a playoff run. That the, this coming draft with Connor Bedard is going to be one of the biggest ones that we've had as far as first overall picks go uh, in recent years. Thinking back and even to like Matthews.
1: Oh yeah, uh, McDavid, teams are going to be tanking
0: hard. And Arizona might be one of those. Chicago certainly looks like they're going to be one of those teams. And uh, because he's just a double underage player that is a generational talent and is doing incredible things. And if you haven't seen some of the highlights by now, I encourage you to look at Connor Bedard highlights because they're incredible. Um, But, yeah, they actually play. So going back to the Bruins quickly, they actually play Vegas at home and then they go out to play Vegas uh, on the 11th. So both of those games are happening in December. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what happens when the... Bruins and Golden Knights start their series. They're both teams that uh, could potentially be massively boosted or negatively impacted by a new coach. They have the rosters that should be playoff rosters. Maybe not. You could argue if they're actually cup contenders in both cases, but they're teams that people expected probably more from this year. The Bruins could have won. Obviously, they went to seven games against Carolina. They could have won that series. Vegas didn't make the playoffs, and they definitely should have, and they lost most of their opportunities to there's no one really to blame besides that roster and you know that coaching staff for preparing them because they 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 were not worse than that Dallas team that ended up making it and you know you could argue their path forward even if they had one wasn't great anyway but it would have been it it kind of it was a massive disappointment in Vegas that they didn't make the playoffs and I think they feel that and that's part of why they uh, canned uh, Pete DePore and brought in Bruce Cassidy so anyway um, we'll come back to you guys after the NHL free agency has kind of cooled down and we really have a grasp on where players are going. I'd really love to see uh, if, t- if Kane, at least Kane moves from Chicago. Cause I think that's going to have a massive impact on what happens around the league. And uh, obviously we've talked about Malkin and Johnny Gaudreau still in flux as well. And Asim Kadri. there's a lot of names out there that could potentially, you know, greatly impact this free agency. So definitely keep an eye on that. And we'll come back to you uh, once a lot of that stuff is settled. So uh, any final thoughts, Spencer, before we head out of here?
1: No, no, I think, uh, covered everything i wanted to at least and um you know well there'll be some big news starting tomorrow for sure with free agency
0: yeah definitely it's the last really exciting thing that happens before we kind of go away for like well it's going to be a little shorter this year but uh, sometimes it's you know it's a full two months two months plus so um anyway this has been episode 75 of the Puck that podcast i'm jeremy perigo joined as always by spencer weeks you can find episodes of the show on apple podcast spotify soundcloud Uh, We post at Puck That Pod on Instagram and at Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Paragle on Twitter. Uh, Spencer's at The Spencer Weeks on Twitter. Uh, You can find us there. Follow along. Get our reactions to everything as it's happening in real time. Uh, And, yeah, we'll see you guys on Episode 76. And we'll talk to you next time.
1: I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell
0: you about...